Let me ask you, please, uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, um, I pray that uh, you would be with us as we uh, consider the scripture. It is your word, and we're to come to it in meekness. That is to say, we're to come to us to it realizing that you're God and we're not, and that we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So I pray that we would be very quick this morning to listen. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to James, the New Testament book, towards the back of the New Testament. New Testament book, James chapter 1. I want to read, beginning with verse 18 through verse 25. We won't get all of that, but I want to read all of that. Verse 18 and then through verse 25. Of his own will, he brought forth, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let Every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like, what he he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we were left after at least verse 18, which we considered last time I read verse 18 because it fits with this part as well. But, but um, we're left with a bit of a dilemma by James. Here's the dilemma. He was writing to those who were refugees. They had been persecuted in Jerusalem and fled. And to us, and he says to us that as we go through various trials, which we all do, as we go through various trials, we're going to count it joy. And the reason we can count it joy is because there's a good purpose that God intends for it. And that good purpose is our spiritual maturity. And the means that he brings that about is through trials, through difficulties that test our faith. The wisdom of God for us then when we go through difficulties is that we're to remain steadfast. Because if we remain steadfast in faith, then that will grow us up. Then that will bear fruit in the spiritual uh, maturity. In fact, he says, if we lack wisdom as we're going through this, uh, ask God. Because he gives generously. He doesn't uh, rebuke us when we ask. But he gives generously. But we must ask in faith. Of course, we must ask in faith. Because if we don't, we won't receive the wisdom that he gives. If we don't trust him, then he might give us wisdom. But we won't receive it because we don't trust him. But he says, trust him. And you'll receive uh, his wisdom. Now, here's the kicker. The kicker is that he says, when we go through these trials, even though God intends for our spiritual maturity and all the good that will come, and God never tempts us to sin in the midst, we're still we're tempted to sin in the midst of these trials. And, 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 and the scary part is that that temptation comes from within us. It doesn't come from God. 
It comes from within us, from the sinful desires that still reside in us. So then the question is, well, do we have any hope? If we go through these trials, we're supposed to remain steadfast in faith. But within us, there are these sinful desires that tempt us to not be steadfast, to not continue in faith. Do, do we have any hope? And he says, oh, yes, we have hope because God is good, you see, and he gives good gifts to us. And, and, and the, the proof of that is that he's given us the best gift of all, that by his word, he's brought us forth, if you will. That is to say, he's given us new life. And, and this new life then is oriented to him. Yes, these sinful desires still reside for now, but he's given us this new life that is oriented towards him. Follow that. That's good. That's the good gift of God. And so that, you see, is, is, our, is our hope. So now the question is, all right, how then can I really move on to maturity? I know these trials come. I know God's intention. I know how I'm to see it from his perspective. I know that I'm to gain wisdom from him. Yet still there are sinful desires that tempt me. Even though I know that I've been brought forth, given new life. How, how, how do I grow up in this maturity? And I take that question really from verse 20 that I read a minute ago. It says, for the anger of God doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So my question is, if anger, my anger doesn't produce it, what produces the righteousness of God in me? This remaining steadfastness, being obedient. That's the sense of this expression, the righteousness of God here. How is that produced? That's the operative word. How is that righteousness of God formed in me? How is it produced in me? That's the question. Given that I've been born again by this word, as Jesus would put it, or as Paul would put it, I'm a new creation in Christ. Given that, but yet still with these sinful desires... What then can produce the righteousness of God in me? Well, he says this in verse 21. Therefore, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so he says, you have been brought forth by this word. And now I want to tell you that this word is implanted in you. And there's a sense there that the word of God is in us. It's really there. It isn't something we've just heard about and comes and goes. But it's something that's now a part of us. It's implanted in us, this word of God. So it's there within us because of this new life that we've been given. It's as if, on the one hand, the word of God is a seed that brings us to life And then the word of God is also a seed that's implanted in us to enable to live out this life. So he says, you've got that within you. And that's what produces the righteousness of God in you when you receive with meekness this word. And what we'll see is that James is intent throughout his letter on on, on, on speaking to us about this word. We, we see it in verse 18 of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. What I just read in verse 21, that, uh, that we're to receive with meekness the implanted word. Verse 22, we're to be doers of the word. Verse 23, if, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man. And so we're to be doers of the word. He speaks um, in uh, 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 verse uh, 25, about the law of liberty that ultimately brings blessing. That 
his expression for the word of God at that point, the law of liberty. And then over in verse 8 of chapter 2, he speaks of the royal law uh, according to the scripture. And then again in verse 12 of chapter 2 of the law of liberty. In fact, we find James following his own paradigm here because he he uses the scripture often. He speaks of Abraham, refers to him, and he says Abraham is a model for us. He's a model for us of what it means really to live by faith. He speaks of Rahab even even as a model of one uh, of living by faith. He speaks of the prophets who speak to us. He he, he talks about Job in the midst of his letter. He talks about Elijah. And so he, he, he himself goes back to this word of God. Uh, it's his theme. And we're to receive with meekness this word that's implanted within us. So the question is, how does this implanted word produce in us the righteousness of God? He says, well, for it to produce in us the righteousness of God. We need, we have it because God has given it to us. We need a particular disposition. And he expresses that disposition. I'll just walk us through. He expresses that disposition as one who is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and a person who is meek then. That, that disposition. Now, We'll see in a moment, I think, that being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger is all summed up in this expression of meekness. But let's think about that. Because you see, when we're talking about the righteousness of God, we're, we're talking about this, this righteousness of God that's, that's produced in us. And we should then see it. And, and the way that we would see it is in our relationships with each other And of course, in our relationships with God, the righteousness of God, meaning this sense of being right with one another and right with him. And and that's to be produced in us through this implanted word that's enabled to save our souls. And and we, we speak of this notion of saving our souls. We realize that our salvation can be can be thought about in, in three different time frames. If someone asks you, are you saved? You could play with them a little bit and you could say, well, I, I've been saved and I'm being saved and I will be saved. So, yes. Because you see, there's a pastness to our salvation if you're a believer in Christ. Christ died for us, securing it. We came to him by faith and thus it's secure in us as believers, past tense. It's future in the sense that there's still much of it in the sense of the reality of it in our lives to come, the fruition of it, the consummation of it. It's still to come at the, at the coming of Jesus when, when the earth is renewed and, and there's the new heavens and the new earth and we live in the presence of God uh, reflecting his glory forever. That, that's to come. So there's a sense in which that's still to come. But, but there's a presentness about it as well. That even as we live now, there's a presentness of this salvation, which is God enabling me to live increasingly to please him. To live increasingly in the joy that comes by knowing him and pleasing him. This, what we call often sanctification, big word for that. This process by which we're, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus, being renewed in the image of Christ, if you will. And, and that's the present tenseness of our salvation living forgiven reconciled to God joined with Christ 
and now receiving from him and growing in this wonderful grace that's in him. And that's what James is speaking of now. How do we, how has that happened right now? How has that produced in us this righteousness of God? And he says, well, it's this disposition that we're to be quick to listen. Now, as I hear that, the first thought, and maybe it isn't the best one, but the first thought to me is, that's really hard to be a good listener. I mean, let's face it. One um, theologian slash pastoral counselor, I won't give you his name because he went off the rails at the end of his life. Uh, so I don't necessarily want him to want you to read him, but I'll give you this quote. It was really good. It was before he went off the rails. Um, he's Swiss, was. Anyway, um, he said this. He said, listen to conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. They are for the most part dialogues of the deaf. So we really don't listen well to each other. Um, in my office, how many times one spouse has said of another, she doesn't listen. He doesn't hear me. Or parents of kids, or kids of parents, or friendships. Doesn't really listen. We are not really good li- listeners. And, and the sense of that is because we're self-centered, generally. That's what causes this lack of, of really caring to hear someone else. We view ourselves, whether we're conscious of it or not, as more important than the other. And, and really, while you're talking, I'm thinking of what I'm going to say next. As opposed to really listening and trying to really understand you. And so this sense that we're not really good uh, listeners. Um, and what that means is it doesn't produce this righteousness of God. I, I, I don't love you well. If I, if I really loved you, I would listen. I'd be concerned about your life, what you're really saying, what you really want to communicate to me. I'd be interested in that. Uh, and the righteousness of God in me says that I'll love you in such a way as to listen because I realize that I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price and I've been joined with you. And so I should thus then uh, listen to you. This kind of listening, you see, requires humility. It requires me to say, I'm not the only important one in this conversation. (laughs) I need to really listen, really listen to you. We're to be slow to speak. That doesn't mean that we never speak. Uh, It doesn't mean even that we don't talk a lot. I mean, some of us talk more than others, I suppose, just by general disposition. But the idea of it is we need to be careful in our speaking. We need to be careful with what we say. We need to take thought. As we read through the wisdom of Proverbs, we read this. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Right? That is, the more words you say, the more likely it is you're going to say something that's going to offend or transgress another. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Uh, Again, this one from Proverbs 17. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Um, Yes. Proverbs 29. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, don't associate with a simple babbler. See, this sense of, 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 of speaking in haste or speaking and over-speaking of the person gives a sense that I'm more important. What I have to say, my opinions are really more uh, important than yours. And someone who's, who's quick to speak is likely to be 
slow to listen and to really hear and to really care and to really uh, be thoughtful. In our days, we have so many ways to be quick to speak through social media, through Facebook. I don't even know what, I don't, I don't do any of that. So I try to be slow to speak, at least in that way. We've seen, I suppose I shouldn't say this, but Twitter being perhaps a rash way to speak in our culture. So the dangers we know of being quick to speak rather than slow to speak. And then slow to anger. It doesn't mean we never get angry. There's appropriate ways and things about which to be angry. But the problem with us is that as James speaks of the anger of man in contrast to the anger of God. The anger of God is always justified because the anger of God is righteous. The anger of God really is a reflection of his, of his kingdom, his righteous rule and his love. And anything that goes against that causes God to be angry and that's good. He doesn't throw temper tantrums. He doesn't get ticked off. His anger is righteous and holy. Ours, on the other hand, has a tendency... Um, to be violations of our own kingdom when people come against our rules and we get angry, not righteous anger that because God's kingdom has been violated, but selfish anger because ours has been, because we think we have a right to others giving to us. A nice life. So, so while we may uh, really spend very little time being angry at the injustices, the real injustices of the world, we find ourselves getting very angry when someone takes our parking place or cuts us off in traffic or the cable goes out, right? Or when demands are put on us by even people we love. And so rather than our spouses and our kids being objects of our affection, they become obstacles to our real affections. And when that happens, we become angry with them because they've violated us and our kingdom in some particular way. Anger, this kind of anger, is contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. It isn't, it isn't being joyful and loving and patient and kind and good towards another or forgiving. It's not being gentle. It's not being... Uh, one who practices self-control. It's against that. And the truth of the matter is... Once we become angry, we really stop listening. Once we become anger, angry, we stop listening. One author put it like this. He says, never is an ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. At any rate, an angry spirit is never an attentive one. When anger comes in, listening flies out. See, what we really need to be is is meek, is, is humble. And where comes this humility? It comes from seeing who we really are. And it comes first by seeing ourselves in the presence of God. Two things happen, we've always said, two things happen when we see ourselves really in the presence of God. Both of them humble us. The one is that we see ourselves as creatures, thus Utterly dependent upon God. Now we can feel in control and we can feel like, uh, like we're really big stuff uh, when we just compare ourselves with each other perhaps. But when we see ourselves in the presence of God and we see what greatness really is 
then we realize that we're utterly dependent upon him. We can't sustain the universe. We can't sustain our existence. We can't sustain life. He can by his very word. We're utterly and completely dependent upon him. Thus, we we see ourselves really as children, not innocent, but utterly dependent, you see. Utterly dependent in relationship with God. Every breath requires his sustaining that breath, you see, and ordaining it, or it won't be. We're utterly dependent upon him. So we'll always, even in glory, be humble before God, right? Because that will never change. Even at the return of Christ, we'll always be the created ones. He'll always be God. And we'll live in humble submission to him. The second thing that humbles us when we see ourselves in the presence of God is we see our sin. And we realize what we deserve because of our sin. That was why I read for our call to worship this morning um, uh, that scene with the prophet Isaiah. And he goes into the temple and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And he sees that the train of, of God's robe fills the temple. What that means is that, that God is stunningly huge. If, if just the end, the train, just the end of his robe fills this enormous temple, then you realize he must really be big and really great. And then the angels are flying around him and and they're saying, holy, holy is the Lord. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. And and they can't even look upon him. So they cover their eyes and their ears and their mouths and so forth. Their feet. And then Isaiah gets it. And he says, woe is me. I'm ruined. Because you see, I'm a man of unclean lips. Everything that comes out of me is unclean. And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. There's no hope for me in them. But my eyes have seen the Lord of glory. And he's utterly devastated. And he feels like he's going to blow up and, 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 and die. His only hope, of course, is that this angel comes and takes a coal from the altar, the sacrificial altar, takes a coal from the altar and presses it against his unclean lips. And he's cleansed. Not because of anything he's done, but because something God has done. And then he realizes, oh, now I'm forgiven. Now I'm in the presence of God and I can remain in the presence of God. Why? Not because of me, but because of God. And that humbles us, you see. We realize that. Great humility. And, and it's this humility then that we live out in front of each other. And so when you're talking, I should listen. Why? because I'm not all that. I'm not all that important. (laughs) You're important at the moment. And that's all right. I get that. I get that. And I can be slow to speak, careful in my speaking. And not angry, because a meek person is difficult to make angry by another. Because he understands who he is. His creatureliness and his own sin in the presence of God. We're to be meek and we're to meekly then, with meekness, receive the implanted word. Now that was all a setup for this. That same disposition that we're to use in relating to each other, we're to use in relationship to the word of God. We're to come to it in meekness and receive it 
which means when we come to God's word, we're to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You see, we're to be quick to listen to it. And then we come with meekness. Meekness says that I fear God. And thus, that's the beginning of wisdom. That I need to listen to him. That I don't have this wisdom. He has this wisdom. I need to listen intently to him. I need to say no to my own thoughts, if you will, and my own ways and my own opinions. And I need to listen to him. And you say, why should anybody need to be told that? Do you really need to ask that? Do I really need to ask that? Don't I already know? I mean, how many times do we come to the scripture and we don't listen? We come with our guilt and we hear there's forgiveness in Christ and we still carry our guilt. We come to the scripture and it says there's hope in Jesus and yet we still live hopelessly. Right? We're not always quick to listen. There's some, as you know, and I know, as we share this word with them, they hear it and they go, no, that can't be true. That can't be true. Can't be true of Jesus. That can't be true of me. That can't be true of God. And they simply don't listen. And, and if you don't listen, then you can't receive this word that's implanted and comes to us by way of the scripture. And thus, if we don't do that, this righteousness of God will never be formed in us because it's formed because of his word that comes to us and lives in us, you see. It's implanted. We need to be quick to listen. We need to be slow to speak. That doesn't mean we never communicate with God. We're commanded to in prayer. Nor does it mean that we never speak about what we've learned in scripture. Some of us get paid to do it. Uh, others of us are called to do as parents teaching children or, or, or teaching a Sunday school class or a, a Bible study or just sharing with others. Sure, we do that and we must and that's important. But, but the essence of it, the, the, the sort of dispositional aspect of it is that we're to be slow to speak. When God speaks, we're to be listeners and we're to take that in and meditate upon it and seize it, if you will the context of our own lives we hear this word from out here it resonates with this this implanted word that's in here and that's how we grow in it you see this implanted word needs to be cued by this word and so it's in our minds and in our hearts we need to be quick to listen to it slow to start talking but meditate upon it I think of Job when I think of being quick to listen and slow to speak. I think of his counselors and, and you read through Job's and you go, why don't these guys just shut up? Why are they doing this to him? Don't they see? And they didn't. However close they got at times, they still didn't get it and they didn't see it. Even Job is he's bantering with them and bantering back and forth with God. Even Job comes to a place in his own life where uh, he... God reveals himself and, 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 and Job said, God says this to Job, shall a fault finder contend with the almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And then Job responds, behold, I am of small account, but what shall I answer to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. He says, whoops. I should have just listened. 
I should have meditated upon who you are, God, really. I should have heard your word. I listened to them. I should have heard your word. Now you've spoken your word to me, so I'm going to med- that's the sense of it, you see. Do you get that? That's how we're to be. That's the humble person. That's the meek person before the word of God and before God that says, you are God and I am not. You have wisdom. I do not. So I will listen to you and I will take it in and I'll consider it. And then he says, be slow to anger. And you say, well, why, why does he say that? And how does that apply in the context of my life with God? Have you ever put yourself in the place of these, and I, sh- I trust you have, who are being persecuted, they're displaced from Jerusalem, these Christians to whom James writes, and, and they're homeless, and they're jobless, and they're friendless, uh, they're, they have no community really, they're refugees in the midst of all this. And then God says to them, count it all joy? You ever read the Bible and you read words like that in the midst of a great difficulty or some friend comes to you and says this to you and you just want to clench your teeth and be angry about that? How in the world does God expect me to count this as joy? Exactly. Yeah. How does God expect me to count this as joy, really? He says to us all kinds of things, you see. If you are lonely... And you want to be married and, and, and you find yourself attracted to an unbeliever who's wonderful in every way, but they don't believe in Jesus. And you come to the scripture and it says, no, no, I'm sorry, that's not for you. Listen. Shh. Don't speak. Don't get angry. If you do, the righteousness of God won't be produced in you because you'll stop listening to God and you'll go your own way. You see? Where people struggle with gender issues. In our day. And they come to the scripture. The scripture speaks to that. And they say, but, but you don't know how I feel. How can you say that to me? That, that I can't simply follow this passion, follow this these desires of mine. And you're, no, 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 no. If you do that, you, you, the righteousness of God won't, won't be produced in you. And, and you can understand the anger that could happen in the midst of that. Or you've lost someone that you dearly love. And you'd prayed for them. And it's as if their death was premature, if you will, at least from our perspective. And here you find yourself at a loss and you realize God didn't answer your prayer in the way that you had thought he should. And, 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 and you can just feel it, can't you? And he comes, he says, no, trust me. Fret not, trust me. Be patient, wait upon the Lord and he'll renew your strength. And you go, ugh, right? You do that, you stop listening. The righteousness of God will not be produced in you. And so you see, in our relationship with God, and in our relationship with his word, we must be quick to listen. And that means we must put ourselves in positions where we listen to it. So we need to read it. And sometimes you say, well, I read the Bible, but I don't understand it. And that's why we have groups that read it together. Because there will be there, people there to help and to teach. And, and in, the, in the midst of the community, uh, God speaks and we learn together the things we don't understand. Somebody else understands. And they've been gifted to help us. And so, so if we're going to be quick to listen, it means we're going to be quick to worship. It means we're going to be quick to Bible study. It's going to be, means we're going to be quick to the Bible during the course of day that's the sense of it that's how we listen to god you see and and we're to be quick to listen to him and we're to be slow to speak in the sense that 
It's not to argue with God. Not to argue with him. Not to become angry when we hear these things. But rather that the word of God that's implanted in us will resonate with this word that comes to us. And in the midst of that will grow. And the righteousness of God will be formed in us. J.I. Packer writes this about this passage. He says, God plants the word in our hearts just as we plant bulbs and seeds in our flower pots. The word takes root in our hearts and changes us in ways of which we're not at first conscious. In due course, however, we become aware that we're different than the way we were. Once, I didn't see Jesus in his glory, and now I do. Once, I didn't love my heavenly father, and now I do. Once, I didn't find worship a joy, and now I do. Once, I didn't desire to please God more than I desire anything else in the world. Once, I didn't desire God's fellowship at all. But that's all changed. What's happened? The word has been planted and taken root. And through the Holy Spirit, it becomes the means of life to my and your heart. Bible truth imparts spiritual life. And we need to soak ourselves in scripture if we're ever to learn how to know and love and serve and honor and obey our Lord. And so therefore, he says, put aside all filthiness and wickedness. All those things which are associated with your self-important life and your self-centeredness that lead you into wickedness and this filthy life. Put it off. The, the image there is first that somebody who's got dirty clothes on and they're filthy. And you just get rid of them, take them off. And any wickedness that comes, he said, and meekly then, with meekness, receive the implanted word. Receive it. Receive it. So, listen and watch. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle adds, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What did you hear? Well, you should hear that you're a sinner in need of a savior, that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. You see, the reason Jesus died was because sin and guilt was put upon him. It wasn't his, it was put upon him. And we see that's what sin deserves. Now, some might hear that and get angry and say, what do you mean calling me a sinner? Well, I mean that in relation to God and his kingdom, that we're to live in such a way that glorifies him. Anything else is a violation of his kingdom. And what glorifies him is that we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that we love others as ourselves. So the question is, have you done that? Have I done that? Really? And I wonder at times, have I ever really loved anyone? Really loved anyone? They realize if, if love is the 
operative rule in the kingdom of God. I've broken it. And, and thus, I, I don't deserve to live in the kingdom. And if I'm out of the kingdom, then I'm in complete desolation. And I'm in a place where there is nothing good at all. Nothing good at all outside of the kingdom of God. That's what we're to hear. Perhaps that's offensive, but, but keep listening. Because he said, this is my body, which is given for you. This is my blood that's been shed for you. What do we hear there? We hear that God, seeing our sin and our misery, has sent his son to deal with it for us. In the most dramatic, the most violent of ways. He took the guilt of our sin and everything that it deserves and took it. That's why in the Apostles' Creed, probably should have said it today, that little expression, he descended into hell. It means when Jesus experienced the punishment on the cross and death, he experienced the reality of eternal hell for us. Everything that we're to experience because of our sin. Listen to that. Be quick to listen to that and play that through. In your mind again and again and again and again, you see. Listen. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. You become angry, then you stop listening. But why would you become angry? This is the manifestation of the goodness and the love of God for us. Hear that. With meekness, realizing you're not God and realizing you are a sinner. With meekness, receive that word. For that word can produce in all of us the righteousness of God. Let's pray, Father. And pray for all of us that we would hear it. Thank you for the work of your spirit who implants this word in us. Thank you for the work of your spirit who wrote this word through us, the authors. And we now have it and it resonates with us. And, and the more we read it and the more we take it in, the more it resonates with us and we find ourselves growing. And so help us to, to put off everything that would keep us from from hearing this word and receiving this word. And, and so transform us even by it to t- take away our selfishness and self-centeredness and our self-importance and, and all of that and, and enable us then to be humble and, and to receive this word from you. Please, I pray. And thank you for this table and the sacrament given to us by our Lord Jesus that we can listen with our eyes and our noses and our fingers and our taste buds as we come to this table. And so I pray that you would set this bread and this juice apart in such a way that uh, we would know that we're in the presence of the one who gave himself for us and who has risen and who has ascended and uh, lives in glory and by his spirit now is present among us. Humble us as we come to this table. And enable us to receive with meekness your word. And indeed, 
our Lord Jesus Christ. This I pray in Jesus' name.